Let's turn in our Bibles, if you will. We're going to continue this morning with our study in the book of Hebrews. And this morning we find ourselves again in Hebrews chapter 11. And we are currently in the midst of our study through this great hall of faith. And we are dealing with our fifth example. This will be the third week we spent talking about Abraham it's not going to be the last week. There's more to talk about him, both in verse 10 next week, but also in the fact that he is the only person who comes up at two different events in his life as an example of faith. And so far we've dealt with the belief in creation by God as an example of faith, and also Abel, Enoch, Noah. And now we are dealing with Abraham. And this is perhaps fitting that we're going to spend so much time on him because the book of Hebrews spends so much time on Abraham, and in the mind of a Jewish person, the original recipients of the book of Hebrews were Jewish people who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, there is no greater figure than Abraham. He was their founder, he was their patriarch, there would not have been a Jewish people if God had not chosen Abraham. I even asserted and explained a little bit more a couple weeks ago that I think apart from Christ, perhaps Abraham might be the most influential, most important person in the Bible. Maybe the most important who ever lived, again, apart from Christ. But for all his greatness, the reason Abraham is emphasized in the book of Hebrews is not because of his otherness. Because of how wonderful he is that we should just turn and, like in some communist countries where they always have the great figurehead and everybody basically reveres and worships, that's not what Abraham's in this chapter. Abraham's here because the faith he had is the same faith we have. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then the faith we have is as significant, is as powerful as the faith that Abraham is commended for. In fact, all of these examples given in Hebrews chapter 11 are summed up in Hebrews chapter 12. This is our great cloud of witnesses that would encourage us to lay aside anything that would hinder us from fixing our eyes upon Jesus and to continue to walk in fellowship with God, no matter what hardships, no matter what obstacles, no matter what challenges. So in terms of Abraham, this first section we're looking at really is described in verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read the entire verses. We're going to focus on verse 9 this morning, but just follow along with me in your Bible as I read from Hebrews chapter 11, 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. These verses contain a great deal of truth. In verse 8, I mentioned is central to what we are supposed to be doing every day of our Christian life. I'm not going to reteach everything I taught, but let me just summarize again for context what we talked about last week. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was received for inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, we understand from Scripture's certain factual information about Abraham. We went back to Genesis chapter 11 and looked at his lineage, his father and his grandfather. And we saw that he has a nephew, and we saw that he has a wife. 
And we know at some point his whole family moved from one place to a place called Haran. Then his dad died after a long life, and the family relocated again. Chapter 12 tells us he moved again because God told him, go, and he went. But we also last week looked and saw that Acts chapter 7, the account when Stephen was about to be martyred and when he was basically giving a proclamation of the gospel to the people who were about to kill him, he commented and made it clear that what you can read and understand is that Abraham was called twice by God. The first time he was called, it looks as though that influenced the fact that his entire family moved to this place called Haran, And then the second time he was called, which is what we're dealing with in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and what is described in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it's that second time that is a focus here, but that second time caused him to leave Haran and go. In fact, I'm going to reread Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. I don't think I'm going to spend as much time in Genesis chapter 12 this week, so I don't know if you have to go over there, but if you recall, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Again, when Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 is talking about Abraham's obedience to God's call, the specific historical reference is this account in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Again, I am not going to reteach it. If you go online and under the resources at lakesidecommunitychapel.com, there's a faith builder's teaching. You can listen to that again if you missed it last week. But I want to emphasize one other thing that we talked about last week, and it comes from Joshua 24.2. It's this. When God first called Abram, the first calling which is described by Stephen in Acts chapter 7, Abraham was not a godly young man waiting on God. Joshua 24.2 says this. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham was from a pagan family. He had ancestors. His father, probably his grandfather, worshipped pagan gods. I don't doubt the natural state of things that as a young child, Abraham wasn't worshipping the one true God. He was probably worshipping the same non-gods that his father and his relatives were worshiping. This wasn't a good Sunday school kid that God said, you know, you're doing such a good job, I'm going to take you. No, God chose a pagan from a pagan family and said, I'm going to make you a blessing to the entire world. God chose this man among all the people on the earth to be the father of a distinct people that God would call his own. The nation of Israel comes from this one man. Abraham was called for no other reason than God chose to call him. There wasn't anything inherent in his character, his background. It was just God chose this man and he called him. So it seems as though as we put together and synthesize all these things, Abraham was 
also called Abram until God changed his name. Abraham was a raised in a pagan home, and at some point God called him, and that probably influenced the fact that Abraham and his father and his nephew and his wife, they all moved to a place called Haran. And then Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about the fact that God called Abraham again and said, you're going to leave here, and you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And the application point that I really emphasize was the fact God called him, and Abraham went, even though in verse 8, you could call it 8b, it says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. God did not show Abraham the playbook. I mean, he showed him the big picture, I'm going to bless you, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, but God didn't say, okay, here's what's going to happen this month and the next month. He said, I'm going to give you land. He didn't even tell him where the land was. He just said, go. That's what Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 alludes to. God says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. In other words, I'm going to tell you later where you're going. You just pack up and go. And when we look at Hebrews 11, verse 8, the language in the Greek makes it clear that Abraham's obedience was immediate. He didn't ponder. He didn't say, God, give me some more information. Well, it sounds like a good plan. God, tell me more. He said, okay, we'll go. God spoke to Abraham and said, obey me. And even though Abraham didn't know what that obedience would look like, he didn't know all the consequences of it, Abraham said, okay, I'll obey. And that's the part that I was emphasizing. If we're a Christian, that's our entire life because God doesn't tell us what's going to happen. We know the big picture. We know if we're a child of God, if we've placed our faith in Christ, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, that we have a place in heaven. But the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11 is so that we can lay aside the sin which so easily entangles, so that we can follow all of these examples, we can fix our eyes upon Jesus, we can run the race with endurance that's set before us. And if you have been a Christian for anything more than a few minutes, you understand there's a lot of times God calls you to do things that you can't see what it is you're going to do. God's called you to obey, but you can't see the outcome. And God didn't send you an email and said, if you obey, here's what's going to happen. We obey God even when the diagnosis of cancer comes. We obey God even if we don't know if there's going to be a healing around the corner. We obey God even when we can't see if our obedience will be rewarded on earth. Obey God because we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 makes that clear. We walk by faith, not by sight. If we did, you wouldn't have to have people like me or Pastor Steve or any other pastor encourage us to walk by faith because it's hard for us. We want to see with our eyes and then we'll react. And I'll step, but I want to make sure that there's solid ground under my foot. God doesn't work that way. He tells us to step, and even if the ground isn't solid, I'm there. Even if you fall through the floor, I'm there. Even if you get broken and hurt, I am there and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that was a longer introduction, but it's important that we constantly keep in mind what we're dealing with here. Because verse 9, it's like God throws softballs out. This is so easy to apply. It's hard to apply, but the application is so easy to see. Let me put it that way. But I want us to have the full context. But now look at verse 9, because this is really where we're going to camp out this morning. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was receiving inheritance and went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Now, I want to make clear that we understand the significance of what is being pictured here. And there's a challenge I have because really I need to talk about verse 10 to make this become crystal clear. But you have to trust me and just wait until next week when we get into that. But I want to look again at something we've already talked about. And it's a clause in verse 8 that I think is important again to emphasize for purposes of understanding the significance of verse 9 says that Abraham obeyed, and I've been emphasizing so far that he went out not knowing where he was going. But it says this, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Now again, my emphasis before, and I think it was right, was that Abraham obeyed even with the uncertainty. He didn't know where he was going. But there was something tangible that motivated him to move. Verse 8 tells us something of what Abraham was moving towards. Now, what we see in verse 10, and we'll get into more next week, is that there was actually a dual reference because there's an earthly reality of this inheritance and there's a heavenly reality. And verse 10 makes clear that it was the heavenly reality that enabled Abraham to do what he did on earth. But there was a place on this physical earth that was to be given to Abraham by God. It was to be an inheritance. Again, I keep going back to Genesis 12, but this is where we need to always keep the Bible together and in context because they're not disjointed stories. It's all a unit. But God said this, you're going to go to the land which I will show you. So this place of inheritance was a real geographic location. Again, we'll see there's a spiritual component that he was, there's a heavenly reality that's even greater, but there was an earthly reality to this. Abraham did live in one place and he was going to another place. He was going to the land. I read a lot of different news stuff on the internet. One of the major dailies in Israel is called, and I might not pronounce it correctly because my Hebrew grammar is not good, Haaretz. It's a major newspaper. It means the land. To this day, that little phraseology is seared into the consciousness of Jewish individuals anywhere. It's the land. There's a reason there's a little country surrounded by people that hate them clinging to a turf of dirt because there was a real promise that some real dirt was going to go to a real person who was going to found a real nation of people. In just a few moments, we'll see it. The Old Testament describes it in specific ways, and we're going to look at a couple of those texts. But even though there was a spiritual component, I want you to understand what verse 9 is talking about is the actual physical process of something occurring on planet Earth. Verse 9 describes the land this way. It says, By faith... He lived as an alien in the land of promise. We've all heard of the promised land. This is what's being talked about here. The land of promise is the land that God promised to Abraham. I should have just had you turn to Genesis chapter 12. I don't know why I didn't. But I'm going to look at Genesis chapter 12 again. 
I've kept stopping at verse 4, but go ahead and turn over there to Genesis chapter 12, because then I'm going to have you turn to Genesis 13, and then I'm going to have you turn to Genesis 15. So if you get to Genesis chapter 12, you've saved yourself some time. I'm going to read verse 4 again of Hebrews 12. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Mori. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This land is the land, the land of promise. This is what's being talked about. So initially, God said, you go to the land that I'll show you. We're told in verse 7, God showed it to him. Okay, you're here. You've been going in faith. You packed up everything. This, I want you to look around. This is what I'm giving you. In Genesis 13, God reiterated the promise. Just look over a little bit farther. Genesis 13 and we'll look at verses 14 through 18. I, I would encourage you, if you haven't already done it, if you haven't had your interest peaked, go back and reread. Start reading in Genesis chapter 11. It gives you a lot of historical context that will really make some of these things jump out at you. But in Genesis 13, 14 to 18, we read this. And what's just occurred, if you recall, Abraham and Lot were very wealthy. They had a lot of stuff and too much stuff to reside in the same place. A lot of animals, all those kind of things. They had to divide up. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So again, this was real earth that Abraham could walk over. And the God of the universe was saying, this is all yours. Just look around. As far as you can see, specific boundaries, this is yours. Flip over a little farther to Genesis 15. Because once again, God reiterated this with a little bit more specificity, but no changes. We'll look at verse 18, Genesis 15, beginning at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, and the Kenizzite, and the Cabmanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. There were people in the land. Abraham didn't own it. There were a whole lot of people that said, this is my corner of the market. But all of these are descriptions of the land of promise that verse 9 is talking about. Here's what I want to emphasize, because this is what verse 9 is emphasizing. This was real territory, and Abram walked about some of that territory. He had a lot of animals. He was very wealthy. God prospered him. When he moved, he probably took up a pretty good turf of real estate. I'm not a farmer, but you have a lot of livestock. They've got to eat a lot, so you've got to have at least some room to move. 
could learn that without knowing anything about farming by looking at the account when Lot had a bunch and Abraham had a bunch and their, the land couldn't support all of their livestock. But ultimately, at this point, he didn't even have a child by Sarai when we're reading in chapter 13 and, verse, and chapter 15. So his physical descendants were not as numerous as the sands of the seashore. His family, his immediate family, would have been very, very small at this point. Now, eventually, if we read through the account, we understand that Abraham by Sarah had Isaac, the child of the promise. And eventually, we understand that Isaac had children, one of which was Jacob, and Jacob became, eventually, Israel. So the emphasis on Isaac and Jacob in verse 9 is just naturally referencing the children of the promise, the descendants of the promise of Abraham. But understand this. Let's think through this biblical history for a second. Abraham was this man from a pagan country that went to a country that wasn't his. You can almost picture a foreigner coming to the United States walking around. And there were actually people there already that owned the land. I don't know, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing these right, by the way, in case you wonder. But there were Kenites and Kenizzites and Cadmonites and Hittites and Perizzites and Rephium and Amorites and Canaanite and Girgashites and Jebusites. So God told Abraham, this is all yours. Congratulations, it's all yours. And guess what? Abraham never got it. He never owned it. He obeyed God. God said, go. He packed it up and he went. But verse 9 is making it clear, even though God promised this land to him, even though we can look at Genesis and God said, look over there, you see that river? Okay, that's your boundary, and over here, and it goes this far. Here was his life. It says, he lived as an alien. 11 verse 9, he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land. You know why? Because it was a foreign land. God promised him. He said, this is yours. You can even walk the length and the breadth of it. And yet, during his entire life, he wasn't able to permanently possess any of it. In fact, if you look through Scripture, it appears that the only place he ever even owned was a funeral plot. Look farther in Genesis to Genesis chapter 23. What we're coming to is the time when Sarah died. And we'll see Abraham's description of his own life as he's just looking for a place to put his wife Give her a proper burial, as we would say. Genesis 23, beginning at verse 1. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Verse 3. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, verse 4. I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. It's a touching thing of a man that is mourning over his wife and he wants to have a place to actually at least give her a proper burial. But after a lifetime of living amongst these people, he described himself, look, I'm just a stranger, I'm just a sojourner, I'm just moving around. That's really the reference point when you see in Hebrews 11, verse 9, that it talks about the dwelling in tents. Abraham dwelled in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The whole point of that is not to tell you that Abraham had a tent. The point is to tell you that he never had permanent roots in that land. 
notwithstanding the promise of God that God said, this is yours, it's your possession. For a lifetime, Abraham had to move from place to place. Set up the tent, put down the tent. Always temporary. can imagine somebody that drives around all the time in an RV. Eventually, you'd like to have a pad to put at least and stop and put down some roots. Never. His entire life, he dwelled in tents. And the reference to dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob in Hebrews 11.9, again, the point is not telling you the familial living arrangements. He's just saying the children of the promise didn't do any better than Abraham. They were strangers as well. They never had permanent roots. They never got a title deed that enabled them to come in and say, everybody, off my land. I got it right here. I own it. Get off. And they had a better title deed than anything that our legal system could come up with because it was the promise of God that says, this is yours. All of this is just pointing out they were faithful, acting. Abraham was acting on the promise of God even though he never realized all the benefits of that promise. And Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise, meaning they rightfully inherited the promise that was made to Abraham, they didn't receive it either. Now, here's part of the point of this, and this is why this is one of those where the application to us just jumps out at us. And it's tough because I'd love to get into chapter verse 10 because it, it provides the real context for why anyone can do what they want to do. But I'm trying to look at this from the standpoint of this real man who lived a real life, who is being held up to, the, by, to us by the Scriptures as a real example of faith, a real example that we have the ability by our faith to follow in his footsteps. And here was the point. Abraham didn't receive all the promises of God while he was on the earth. And yet he could still walk by faith. He didn't see the full benefits that God had promised him and yet we don't see an example of Abraham standing up and shaking his fist at God saying, I'm tired of my tent. I don't like the circumstances you've placed me in, God. Let's go ahead and just speed it up and give me what I think I'm entitled to. I'm sorry, but that is half of the Christian life for those of us in the church. God, I don't like where I am. I want what you promised me, but I want it here on earth. I think it's interesting that for example, in First Peter, we're described as aliens and strangers. Not too different than what Abraham was described for his lifetime, even though God promised him something. Here's what makes this such an applicable example, an applicable example to our lives. This world isn't our home either. This is where we live. This is where we walk. This is where we get frustrated with God. This is where we wish our circumstances were different. This is where we look around and say, well, I thought I was going to get something better than this. Let me tell you, if you've got those kind of struggles, not only do you need to come back next week so we can look at how Abraham dealt with his lot in life, but you've got your eyes on the wrong thing. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing, according to the Word of God, to be at home in this world. If you have your comfort in this world, if you don't think of your time on this earth as though you're a stranger and an alien, your heart is not where it needs to be with the Lord. Understand, I am talking 
as a brother in Christ, not talking at you. I'm living life with you. We struggle over and over and over again because we want to walk by sight. We don't want to live by faith. I don't want to live by faith. I want to know that there's no risk in following God. I've got heaven, but if I live another 40 years, that's a lot of heartache. That's a lot of disappointment that could come my way. And if you fall into that trap, that's wrong thinking. Which is why in Hebrews 12, we're told, fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what Abraham was able to do, and that's our call. We are aliens and sojourners here on this earth who have no choice but to live by faith. One of the things that you realize the longer you follow the Lord is you can't promise people outcomes. I think it would have been fair to say if you were there when Abraham was promised by God, look over there to that river, over to there, over to there, over to there, that's your land. You probably could have been forgiven for thinking at some point Abraham would actually own it all. God didn't fail in his word. God kept his promise to Abraham, but because of our limited, finite understanding of things, we can't always see the eternal because of our fixation on the here and now. So my exhortation to you, the exhortation to me, the things that rumble through my heart, is trying to remember that this earth is not my home. We're just passing through. I don't have a tent, I've got a house, but it's no permanent dwelling for me. Let me encourage you, if you are struggling, if there are disappointments in life, if you have not received what you thought you would get from God, let me point to Abraham as our example. We're going to study verse 10 next week, but ultimately what sustained Abraham was he was always looking to eternity. Whatever was going on now, he knew there was a place for him. Let me close this morning with a scripture reference that I have drawn great comfort from. Debbie and I have gone back to this many times. First time I remember even thinking about this verse, my wife was pointing it out to me. But understand, if your life is hard right now, you can obey. You can go on. You don't have to give up. Even if you don't have the life you thought you were going to have when you came to faith, even if Your life has taken twists and turns. And even if the things that you thought would be yours are not yours, let me tell you, you can still live by faith. And what should be the comfort of your heart in the midst of this is that whatever you endure on earth pales in comparison to the fact that you have a secure future with our Heavenly Father such that no matter what occurs here, you can endure it. John 14, 2 and 3 records this precious promise from Jesus Christ. He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. That in and of itself is comforting. Abraham was looking to that. No more tents wandering around on the earth. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us live our lives in the example of Abraham. Lord, we are 
beaten up in this sin-filled earth. Diseases run rampant in our bodies and in the bodies of our family members. Broken relationships are all around us. People sin against us. We sin against people. Marriages come undone. Children are alienated. Finances are lost. Lord, it is so easy to get overwhelmed and discouraged in the midst of what can seem like a futile existence on this earth. Lord, help us remember that as your children, nothing is futile. Even the disappointments and the discouragements and the hurt are placed in our lives or allowed in our lives so that we will grow from them and become more like Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we could follow in Abraham's footsteps. Lord, he lived a lifetime without seeing the fulfillment of all of your promises in a tangible, physical way. Lord, if our lives have those things, I pray that we could do like Abraham and keep our hope fixed on you. Lord, even as we feel like strangers in this world, Lord, you are preparing a place for us. You've prepared it before the foundation of the world, and we will be with our Savior one day. But until then, Lord, help us be those who take heart, who keep the hope. Lord, help us not give up. And Lord, you've called us as members of Lakeside. If we see brothers and sisters who have stumbled, help us come alongside them and pick them up. And Lord, at some point they may turn and grab us by the arm and help us up. Lord, help us to love one another here so that we can help one another fulfill our calling to live by faith. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are faithful and true. We pray that we will have the faith to endure. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.